got lots to say, but I've learned to listen. Wow, that's for somebody right there. <laughs> that's for somebody other than just me. That many times we've got a lot to say, but we don't take time to listen. You know, that's what relationship is. It's not monologue, it's dialogue. Amen. It's taking time to listen, not just talk. Not just give a laundry list of our needs. Can we go to him with our needs? Absolutely. He desires for us to. But he's more. Look at your neighbor and say, he's more. He's more. He's more. I don't know what your... uh, level of revelation of him is, but he's more. <laughs> Amen. I, I, that's true to me. He's more. And you know what he wants to do today is reveal the more of who he is to us. Amen. So that's why it's important that we listen, that we hear, that we, we take time sometimes just to be still. You know, our system popped. I'm not going to give the devil credit for that. We work with electronics, and sometimes they do stupid things. Our phones, our any and everything, TVs, they all do stupid things. But here's what I had determined is that it wasn't going to take my attention on my worship. So if it was a distraction that he sent, it was an opportunity to say where we're going to stay. Not just sit back and accept, oh, God did this, or the devil did this, and I've just got to roll with it. I did things. I went over, I reset, we reset the system, and guess what? It came back. But I made a decision, and I'm not going to let it distract me out of worship. I was worshiping while I was resetting the amps. Shaba. Ho! I didn't have to shake, rattle, and roll to do it. Huh? See? Man, I'm thankful for outward expressions, but that's not worship. Worship is from the heart. It looks different in everybody. Some, everyone has, you know, someone's worship may be kneeling. Some may be dancing. Some may just be, uh, you know, sitting in the presence of the Lord. We've said this many times. I am not after an outward manifestation. I'm after an inward transformation. Because every time we come into his presence, there should be change. That's my heart's desire for everyone in this room is that every time we gather, when we leave, something has changed on the inside of me. There's been revelation. There's been impartation. There's been encounter with the living God. And I don't walk out the same. I believe that as we gather in his name, that we can come with that expectation And you know what? We're all on different levels, so that doesn't look the same. The Bible says they, comparing themselves against themselves, are not wise. So you shouldn't look uh, laterally at anyone and say, well, if I was there or if I was there, then I would do this. What you need to do is look vertically and see the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who's found worthy, and say, Jesus, I just want to be obedient to you. You know what I mean? Sometimes I would like to treat us like thoroughbreds at the track. And I'd bet on y'all. I'm just kidding. And what I would like to do is hand out blinders when we come in. To where all you can see is the lyrics on the board. You can't see anyone around you. All you can see is the lyrics on the board. That you could be so focused on him. Because what we sing, we don't sing just pretty things to occupy your time. We sing to the king. We don't sing about him. We sing to him. And that we could lose sight of everything that's going on around us and just see the one that's worthy. Because I can promise you this. It's true in my own life. Every time that I can clear the distractions and just see him, he's beautiful. <laughs> he's beautiful. And you know what? He always brings me in deeper. He always gives me greater revelation of his heart and who he is when I take time to not allow distractions. And you know what? We all have distractions. 
We all have distractions. They look differently. Some may be physically, a physical something that you deal with physically. Others, it can be emotional. Others, it can be financial. But it's a distraction. It's what it is. And it's what the enemy wants to use to get your eyes off of him. And let me tell you this. A distraction is not always a bad thing. What do you mean? Is it bad being distracted? Yes. But what I'm saying is you can be distracted by good things. That's what I mean by saying the distraction is not always a bad thing. Distraction is not always a sin or a worry or a fear or something like that. Sometimes a distraction can be a good thing that you've set too much attention to. And it's keeping us from doing the great thing that he's called us to. That's a good word. <laughs> Amen. Preach, preacher. I'm trying. So how precious is it that we can come together in his presence and just say, Jesus, I believe that you speak today and you have something to say to me. Huh? Wow, it could be through the singing. It could be through someone who comes. You know, that's why I want to destroy the myth that church is where you go to get. I want it to be that church is where you go to give. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about that we give of what's on the inside of us. Because most people have the posture when they come to church, I got to go to church so I can get filled up so I can make it through the week. Well, I'm not trying to be negative, but I'm going to tell you, if you only fill up on Sunday, you're going to get empty. Sometimes before you pillow your head Sunday night, Oh, don't shout me down. I know I'm on the line of preaching and meddling, but it's all good. It's where we choose to set our attention. I understand busy. But I understand that, you know, meditate. If we, I've said this so many times before. If we know how to worry, we know how to meditate. Because worry is, you can worry. Just, this is not an uh, honesty test. How many of you have ever worried and still went throughout the day and did your job? Did the things that you needed to do? I'm not going to look because everybody ought to have their hands up. And maybe you don't worry anymore and you've arrived. Praise the Lord. It's a temptation. It's, a, it's an opportunity many times that we don't have to enter into. We don't have to partner with, but it's there. And you can worry about a thing and go throughout your day. But here's what I know about me. When I choose to worry, it changes my countenance. It changes my demeanor, how I, how I react and respond. Because my mind is set on something else. And uh, I'm, some, to my demise sometimes, I'm a very transparent person. I'm the kind of person that you pretty much know where you are with me all the time. My wife sometimes will say, Todd. And it happens uh, in every area of my life. If I see people, I'm trying to get better. If I see somebody I don't recognize right away and they just are real excited to see me, I try not to go. Y'all don't do that, right? You go. Hey. If I see their eyes perk up, I just go. My mom's got that down to a science. Not just with not knowing people. She cannot hear anything that's going on in the room. If somebody else laughs, she'll laugh. <laughs> she did it Friday night. <laughs> somebody said something, a few people laughed. Mama just laughed. <laughs> laughed. Angel, my sister said, what'd they say? She said, I don't know. Thursday night. She was right there. Everybody, everybody thought, man, she got it. She didn't have a clue. <laughs> but if you can, if you, you know, I believe this is just as equally true. As we spend time meditating on him, and you know, meditation is 
is, it's not hard. It's really simple. You can take one verse. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And you can just start meditating on joy. And just think about joy. And then you can go to the next part of the, the verse. It says, of the Lord. So it's not just my joy. It's the joy that the Lord gives. And that joy is knowing that he's my Savior, that my sins are forgiven, that I'm in right relationship with him. I'm the righteousness of God. See, I can meditate on those things. And you know what happens when I do that? My countenance also changes. And I can't hide that either. Come on, somebody. I done preached myself happy. That when I meditate on him, instead of worry about what's going on, that my countenance changes because then I understand he is my strong tower. He's the lifter of my head. Huh? Come on. He's worthy. He's so worthy. But I'm just, I'm determined in my life and in, in this ministry as the Lord has us here that we here's another one I meditate on a lot. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will. That's, that's a declaration of my will. It's not, well, if everything goes well, I'm going to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. I think we should be happy. I do. If you study the Bible and you talk about, you see the, how many times rejoice and joy and is mentioned in there, it will st- stagger you, startle you, stagger you too. <laughs> Staggering. But we have to make a decision where we set our attention and on what we meditate upon. I, I believe that as we do, not just the the atmosphere of this place changes, but your atmosphere of your home, the atmosphere of your workplace, wherever you go, the countenance of the Lord is upon you. Right? I mean, Moses, when he came down from receiving the law, which was an inferior covenant to what we have. Right? Are we good with that? Hebrews says that. We have a better covenant established upon better principles. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the precious blood of Jesus. We have a better covenant. Moses came down, and what was going on? What happened when he came down the mountain? Anyone? Anyone? They were worshiping. But what happened to Moses? His countenance had changed so much that they had, he had to veil his face because the presence of the Lord was so strong. That's under the old covenant. You understand, in the Old Covenant, the presence of the Lord could come upon somebody, but he couldn't live in somebody. You know, I'm going to get to this, hopefully, in the message in a few moments. Deep breath. Because I know, I even have this written out in my notes when I write before this passage of Scripture. Warning, what I'm about to say can and will be provoking to a religious spirit. Warning. Well, I'm just me. I, I am hungry for what the world has called, the church has called revival. I just don't think it looks like what they think it looks like. Or I don't think that it necessarily comes the way we've thought that it has to come. And, um, let me see. If I jump in right there, I might just wreck my whole message and get lost. So uh, let me slow down. If I don't get to Second Chronicles seven fourteen, somebody remind me of that, okay? <laughs> okay. Last week, I'm going to try to jump in from the beginning because I was getting ready to jump right in the middle of it, and I don't know where it would have ended up. Last week, we looked at Adam, the first man, Adam. You remember that? It doesn't say the first Adam. It says the first man, Adam. And the word Adam literally means man. So you could say the first man, man. The first man, Adam. We saw that uh, he was a type, a stamp of uh, 
the original, who is Christ. And, and what I said last week is this, is that I believe that Jesus is the first and the last Adam. And that the, the man, Adam, was the second Adam. He's the one in the middle. Because Revelation says that he is, Jesus himself declared, I am the Aleph and the Tav. And that in our Bible, it's a, in Greek, and it says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. But in the Hebrew, which Jesus would have been speaking, he would have said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav, which is the first and the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's also the, the symbolism for the first for Aleph is a bullock. Uh, a sacrificial bullock. And the symbol for the top is the cross. Huh? Oh, that's rich. And uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the, the Aleph Toph, in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And after God, in the Hebrew, there's an Aleph Toph, untranslated. For the majority of the times, that, that Aleph Toph is used 5,000 times in the Old Testament, and the most of the times it's used, it's untranslated. And it's the signature of Jesus, I believe. In the beginning, God, Jesus, created Jesus, the heavens and the earth. That's how it's in there. It's in the beginning, God, Aleph Toph, created Aleph Toph, the heavens and the earth. Or created the heavens, Aleph Toph, and the earth. So be- between the heaven and the earth, who stands? <laughs> Come on! I'm just saying. Next, like past two weeks, you're going to have to do some editing because I got a little excited and I snapped and screamed and smacked and all kinds of stuff. Um, because it's who he is. And in that, what I said is this, is him being the beginning and the end and us being in his image that we're not an afterthought. <laughs> he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Doesn't that go uh, right with the reality that he's the first and the last Adam? Oh, yeah, it does. And the word type in, in 1 Corinthians where it says that Adam is a type of Jesus, that word type means a blow, a stamp. Hebrews, listen to this. This is I was studying more this week. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the express image of God. The exact representation. You know what it means? It literally means like a die or a stamp. Come on. It it declares that Jesus is a die, a direct representation of God. Right? And it says that Adam is a type of him. And the word type means a blow, a strike. Are you with me? So he was the first. He's the original that made a type, which is us, in his image, to live on the earth. Come on. He's the first and the last Adam. Last week when we got finished, uh, John and I were talking, and I don't know why you'll probably see me do it a couple of times, but for some reason these shoes, like, I, I drag my toe. So if you see me, I got it all together. I won't fall down. If I do, I'll get up. <laughs> and I'll just keep going. So if you see me stumble, don't get worried. It's all good. But John and I were talking, and he said, you know, next Sunday, June 8th, is our baptismal service. And uh, we're going to do it at my cousin's pool in Graham, and we'll have directions uh, next week or the address so you can GPS it in your phone, or we'll have directions printed out on how to get there. It's, uh, so that'll be next Sunday. And John said, you know, maybe some people don't understand everything about baptism. Maybe we should say a little more about it. So I began to think about this past week and just really continue to press into uh, what I had studied and presented last week. And uh, I want to t- teach just a little bit on baptism because I believe it all ties in to what we're talking about, about this understanding of we're not an afterthought and that we have identity, we have purpose, and we have destiny in each one of us. And, and 
I'll begin with this familiar passage in Romans chapter number 5. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. Who's this, the one man? The first man, Adam. You with me? I was just going to pull a verse out of here, and I thought, you know what? It's a whole lot better text in context. So it says, Therefore, just as through one man, which you could say is Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin." So what he is saying is this, because of Adam's sin, there, there became a sin nature in man. Are you with me? Man was created in the image of God. Does God have sin? No. When Adam sinned, the nature of man changed. And that's what he said. And when you sin, you'll die. And what happened is the spirit of man died. It separated from God. And he said, from that man's action, sin passed to all men. Are you with me? So a sinner is not necessarily a bad person. Nor, (laughs) should I say it? Nor is someone who claims to be a Christian necessarily a good person. Don't shout me down. I'm not saying it should be that way. I'm just saying it can be that way. Grandma said the proof of pudding's in the eating. <laughs> That's what Grandma said. She's with Jesus now. So, Death spread unto all men because all sin. Verse 13. But I want you to notice something. Verse 13 through verse 17 is a parenthetical phrase. You see it in your Bible? There's parentheses. So that means it's a thought inside of a thought. He's saying something, and he goes, let me give you a little more clarity. And then he picks that thought up in verse 18. Are you with me? He's expounding on the thought that all is sin. Are you with me? Not or something. I'm not moving forward till I have a general consensus that you're with me. Okay. All right. So he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So he said that from the time that Adam sinned, sin was in the world, but it wasn't imputed. And the word imputed is an accounting term, and it means held to someone's account until the law. And this is amazing. If you study from the time of Adam's sin until the giving of the law, they would murmur, they would complain, they would sin, but they wouldn't be ju- there would be no judgment. You study it. Because the law wasn't given to say, no, this is who you have to be. Man had gotten so... Wicked in their doing, they thought, and it's proven when they went up to the mountain and God said, call everyone, tell them to come here. And they said, no, Moses, you go and you tell God anything he tells us we can, we've got to do. We got it. That's Todd's annotated version. But that's it in a nutshell. They said, no, Moses, you go talk to God and you just tell God anything he tells us to do. We got this. We can do it. And then God said, well, then tell them don't come near. What did God say? Tell them to come. What did he want? Relationship. What did they say? Nope, just give us rules. And what's matriculated down through the years in the church? What is in majority of churches, not all, majority of churches, what do you get when you go? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't dress like this. Don't talk like this. Don't fellowship with these people. Don't go to those places. Not talk to God, have relationship with Him, and let that determine the places you go, what you look like when you go, how you talk when you get there. That's a good word right there. I like it. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. I said Corinthians. It mentions Adam in Corinthians also, but it's right here where it talks about him being his type, which is the word type there means a blow, uh, from a blow, from like a, a press. 
But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, listen, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the, of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from uh, one offense in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many, uh, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So he said the sin nature came because of one man's offense, but justification came because of all of our offenses that Jesus bore. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's good news. It says those that do what? Those who receive abundance of grace. Does it say those to whom abundance of grace is given? Nope. Nope, it does not. But that's kind of what's been taught. Is that there's abundance of grace given to some and to others. What? Better walk straight. Better do right. Because if you don't do right, you're not right with God. And God can't talk to you and you can't talk to God. And what we do is we elevate our personal holiness above his righteousness. Oh, don't shout me down because it's truth. And what we determine is this, that our relationship with God is based on our holiness, not his righteousness. It says he was righteous in making the sinner the, the, that believes righteous. He was righteous in making us righteous. Not in us doing right so that we can be right. I believe holiness is a fruit of righteousness, not a means to relationship with God. That is old covenant theology that our holiness determines our relationship with God. It's not New Testament. But that's what's taught in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I'm not there yet. We're going to get there. But that's been our prayer and our cry for revival. And it's an old covenant slap in the face of God. <laughs> I thought that's how it would go over. I have friends that that's how they pray. If, I'll humble, if we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways, then we'll hear from heaven I'll heal their land. If my people, I started it, if I didn't start it right, somebody, you're misquoting the Bible. We'll read it in a moment. That's Old Covenant. That's Solomon. You know, what was, you know the context of that? I love text inside of context so that you know what's going on. You know what's happening in that passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles 7, 14? It's the second time that, that the Lord has appeared to Solomon. The first time that he appeared to Solomon is he came to Solomon and he, in a dream and he said, what can I give you? Solomon was a young man. And most everybody knows what Solomon asked for. Wisdom. He said, that I might know how to govern your people, that I'd have a wise mind and heart to govern your people. The first time the Lord spoke to him, that's what he said. And, and, and Solomon said, I just want wisdom because I understand that I'm a youth and there's so many people. I don't, I don't know how to, to rule these people that you've placed under me. I'm, I'm, I received this by heritage because of my father, David. And I need wisdom. And God said, you're going to get what you ask for. But not just what you ask for. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you uh, a thought power and dominion like no other king will ever have. None before nor any after. He said, that's what I'm going to give you because this is what you asked for. What you asked for was wisdom. You know what's so amazing about that? 1 John 5 says this, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. That's a new covenant promise that if we know the word and we go to God with the word and say, here's what your word says for me. All right, let me ask you this. Does God want people to go to hell? No. No. He said in, in first, uh, it's begun. I'm all over the place. 
but it's all good. I can hold it together, I think. Maybe. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some, men count, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not slack. So God doesn't want people to go to hell. God hasn't chosen some for heaven and some for hell. I'm sorry where that hits you theologically. He said he's not willing that any should perish. I'm going to, I told you, my intention is not to make you mad. But it is to stir us up, to, to find out, do we believe truth or do we believe tradition? And the, the next one is, well, God is, it, this, this theology of extreme sovereignty that God's in control of everything. I disagree with. I believe God is ultimate, that he is ext- uh, extreme in his sovereignty, is that there's none greater than him. But he's not in control because it says right here that it, God's not willing that any should perish. So if God was in control of everything, no one would go to hell. And that's where these false doctrines come from. It says everybody's going to heaven. That's not true. He said those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. This, the, the gift of salvation is given to whosoever will, for whosoever. But the, the receiving comes when we come into agreement with, and we receive him as our Savior and our Lord. That's when we have relationship with him. Are you with me? He said, I'm not willing that any should perish. So should we have to beg God to save the lost? No. But many times when we start talking about revival, what are people doing? Begging God to save the lost. Should we pray for the lost? Absolutely. Do we have to beg God? Absolutely not. He's, he's in fact, if First John says, if we, if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that he ha- we have the petitions that we've desired of him, right? First John chapter 5. Let me find it because I'm all over the place. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, not in us, in him. Where's the confidence? In him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if we say, God, I want to see my unsaved loved ones and neighbors saved. We can know that God hears that because that's according to his will because he's not willing that any should perish, right? So where do we go then? Then we go. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't hear me. Where do we go then? Then we go. Then we go to our unsaved friends and loved ones. We don't shove the Bible down their throat, but we just go show them who Jesus is through a relationship that we have with him. You know, like they'll say, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Mother Teresa who it was, that said something like, uh, witness daily, and if you have to, use words, something to that effect. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk to them about Jesus and present a plan of salvation, or a way into relationship. I don't even like the terminology, plan of salvation. It gets us back into the program mode. But we can present them a way into relationship. You know how that comes? It comes through introduction, just like when you meet someone you've never met before. You go up and you say, hey, my name is, what's yours? (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to get silly and corny. I'm going to stay focused, stay on point. So we can introduce them into relationship, and um, they can know the Lord. Let me get back. So according to the scripture that we just read in, in Romans chapter 5, wow, my time flies when I'm having fun. I don't know how yours is going right now, but I'm just telling you, mine's flying. Uh, so according to this passage, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, we can see that this thing that the second Adam did wasn't a minor deal. It was a major thing. But what we also see is what the last Adam did was a major shift in how we approach God and how he deals with us, right? Because it says, until the law, sin wasn't imputed. It wasn't counted against. It wasn't held to their account. 
But when the law was given, and he said right here, for the law, verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but it was not imputed to them. Uh, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Speaking of Jesus. And it says this, much more the grace of God and the gift of, by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. For judgments which came from the one resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And I've shared this before. Justification in its most simple definition is means just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. Man, think about that. That's how God, when we enter into relationship with him, that's how he sees us. I don't want to show of hands, but you examine your heart. How many times have you really seen yourself that way? Just as if you'd never sinned. Just say lie that. That means meditate on that for just a moment. You know what's the easiest thing to be? It's to be sin conscious. It's easy to see where we miss it, whether it be in a relationship, when we snap at someone, or when we don't do something, or, you know, like some people do when they drive, talk to the people in front of them who can't drive. <laughs> Just saying. Clear, clearly, I mean, never mind. I'm just going to make it worse. I'll just be quiet. So what I want you to see is a totally, there was a total shift in a, a new paradigm, a new way of seeing God happened when Jesus, and God seeing us when Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't a minor adjustment. It wasn't a band-aid on a bleeding artery. It was a total healing. Amen. That's a good word right there. So I'm going to bring it back to baptism. <laughs> All right. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts 2, 38 says this, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right, he says, I want to give the definition of repent here. Because most people think when you say repent, they, it, to them, in their mind, the first thing that comes to mind is confess sin. I mean, is that an honest uh, observation on my behalf? That when most people, when you say repent, it means confess sin. The word literally means this, to think differently. So when he says when men repent, he said when men think differently. <laughs> Come on. That's good. When we begin to think differently about how God sees us, then we'll think differently about how we see him. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I believe about baptism. I believe that baptism is not merely symbolism. I believe baptism is a prophetic declaration of the old life that died and the new life that is risen in Christ. I believe it is this, is a, it's an outward manifestation of the inward work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's why the Lord told them to go and baptize. Because he wasn't just saying, go do this symbolically so they can, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll be buried in the likeness and raised in the newness of life. And I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying that's what, that's what happens. That's how most people are baptized. If you came out of the Baptist, if you came out of the Methodist or, or Lutheran or something like that, you may have just been sprinkled. That's okay. Well, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> it didn't say Jesus came up straight forth out of the sprinkles. <laughs> he didn't run through the sprinkler. He came up out of the water. He didn't just run by a grave. 
He was in it. Closed in, covered. And he came out alive. So baptism is not just a, sim- a symbolic statement that, well, you know, I'm, in, I'm buried in his likeness, I'm resurrected. It's a prophetic declaration that the old man died and the new man came out. Here's, I've never seen this, but here's what I'm believing for. I'm believing that there's going to be people baptized, and they're going to come up, never been spirit-filled, and they're going to come up speaking in tongues. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I, because he said it's a gift. If you read in context, Acts 38 and 39, he said the Holy Spirit is a gift to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. He gives that invitation, and he says that if you'll receive him, it's for you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for a select few. And I'm not going to teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's not for a select few, the really spiritual people who, who pray and fast enough to get the Holy Spirit. It's not that. He says he's a gift. Jesus even taught, if, if your Father knows how to give you good gifts, how much more the Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask Him? So it's a free gift. I don't know about you. In, in the natural, I'm not going to deny my dad privilege and right of giving me a gift. <laughs> it just wouldn't be right. It would be disrespecting to him. So why in the world would we deny Heavenly Father that right and privilege to give that gift to us? Amen? Uh, to go with what I'm saying about this, about baptism being a prophetic declaration. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I li- which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. That's where I said that that baptism is a prophetic declaration that what? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we're baptized and we come up out of the water, things change. Are you with me? I'm not living for self anymore. Amen? Amen? Galatians 6, 14 says, but far, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Come on. That's deep right there. He said, I don't boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Tav. He's the Aleph and Tav. All I boast in is the finished work of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Not in the torturing stake where he died. He said, what I'm saying is, in that cross is the finished work of Jesus, where my sin was paid for, and I became the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what I boast in. That's what I boast in. And as I do, as I do, it says that the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So, sin no longer has authority over you because you died to it. And it died to you. Galatians 5, 16. This kind of counters that don't do this, do this, don't do that. Paul even talked about to beware of those who tell you don't eat this, don't. He called it doctrines of devils. Anyway, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So baptism is a declaration of this. Just as I was a sinner, I died to sin. And when I came up, I came up the righteousness of God in Christ. 
I'll tell you how to determine how much of that revelation you really have. And that's just stand in the mirror every morning and declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That I'm as righteous as Jesus. <laughs> I told you, uh, warning, the things I'm about to say will upset a religious spirit. But how does that righteousness come? Not by my works. That's why when I said earlier that holiness is not our right doing. Holiness is our right relationship with him. And from that, the fruit of a holy life comes forth. If we could do something to get right with God, then the Bible, Galatians says Christ died in vain. If we can do something to undo that with Christ, that means that sin is greater than the sacrifice. Right? I'm just saying what the Bible says. Where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. There wasn't a thing that Jesus did that, that made him a sinner. He took on sin. He exchanged. He reconciled. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Man, that's good. That's so good. My sins are not imputed or held to my account anymore. That's what it says here. I now have the ministry of reconciliation. I said earlier, we started with saying that we're an army. We are an army that's rising up, right? That breaks every chain. How can we say that? Because he says here that we are ministers of reconciliation. It, it, it literally means that we're ambassadors. That's the next thing. It says that I'm an ambassador, a representative for Christ in the earth. And the last thing is I have been made, I've become the righteousness of God in Christ. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So isn't that what, they're, what most people are asking for when they're, play, when they're declaring 2 Chronicles 7.14? They're wanting that revival, that time of refreshing to come. But what they're doing is they're focusing on an old covenant scripture. In context, what's going on there is the second time, I was saying this earlier, it was the second time that God had appeared to Solomon and he had, Solomon had built this the, uh, temple, this billion-dollar temple. Uh, some scholars say up in the hundreds of billions of dollars is what it would cost to rebuild the temple. But he had, he had built the temple, which was a man-made structure. Answer this to me. What is the temple of God now? Is it this building that we're meeting in? It's this right here. So why would we reduce ourselves to asking God to come to this location on the map when he lives in this location, wherever I am on the map. Why would we reduce it to a meeting place when he said, I've, I've upped it and I've put it in you. I've, I've upped the ante. I've made it greater and, and, and better by putting the temple in you. <clears throat> he says, repent, therefore, the word, I, I already shared this, the word repent means to think differently. The word converted there. It literally means to turn oneself or to revert. So repentance and, and uh, conversion means, repent means to think differently and to turn back to him. Okay? Are you tracking with me? So repent and convert means to, to think differently by who I look at. All right. That, and it says that your sins may be blotted out. <clears throat> this is... Awesome right here. Words, the, the may be blotted out. It's four words in the English. It's one word in the Greek. And it means this, to smear out, to obliterate. What is he saying? As I think differently and turn my attention back to him, sin is obliterated. The power of sin in my life is obliterated. Why? Because I'm thinking differently because I'm not looking at me, I'm looking at him. <laughs> refreshing. The word refreshing there, it means this, a recovery of breath. Revival. 
That's what it means. Recovery of breath, revival. I could, I could preach, not teach, preach here for 30 minutes at least, but I'm not. For those who said, come on. <laughs> Don't come that far. Just come a little. <laughs> because God formed man from the earth. And then what did he do? He breathed into him. Before Jesus ascended, the disciples were gathered together and the Holy Spirit was given, not in the upper room. The Holy Spirit was given on the mount before he ascended because it says in John's gospel that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? The presence of God came into man through breathing into them. The presence of God came back into man after Jesus' sacrifice through him breathing on them. And here he says this, when we think differently and we begin to look at him He said that a time of refreshing, of recovery of breath will come. A recovery of his life in us comes. That is revival. Revival is not a bunch of people at the altar. That's the fruit of people who've received their breath again. Have you ever been just so exhausted you just had to catch your breath? Doing something, you had to just catch your breath. He's saying, that's what I want you to do, church. Catch my breath. And he says, when you do that, a time of refreshing will come. And the word uh, may come, it means this. Huh. Wow. It literally means to come from one place to another. Since times of refreshing may come. So he's saying a time of refreshing will come from my place to yours. So here's Todd's annotated version, and I'll, and I'll stop. Of Acts 3.19. Think differently and turn, when, turn yourself, your attention and focus back to the Lord. And your sins will be obliterated so that times of recovering of breath filling of the Spirit. Revival will come from one place, heaven, to another, earth, from the presence of the Lord. Let me read it one more time. Think differently and turn yourself, your attention and focus back to the Lord, and your sins will be obliterated so that times of recovering of breath, filling of the Spirit, revival will will come from one place, heaven, to another, earth from the presence of the Lord. 